welcome to Irreverent Testimony, brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political podcast by and for millennial and Gen Xer types from a left-wing perspective. It is Saturday, March 31st, 2018. I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. And today it's probably going to be sort of a hodgepodge of things, I'm yeah. guessing. I don't know that we're going to find one topic to just rant about for like a half hour, <laughs> like usual, and then try to squeeze in the rest of the news. We might just jump around randomly. And bore you to tears like Kager was doing yesterday, <laughs> talking for a half hour about the stock market for some reason. But it's okay. He's got to do that for two hours every single every day. day. So yeah. every weekday. So yeah. that's, that's okay. He's allowed. He's allowed. Mm-hmm. We have to be much more concise. Yes. Wrapping up all the week's news in a mere 90 minutes once a week. It's like Saturday morning cartoons. But huh? it's like Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah. I, but, I explain what that, what do you mean by that? But it's news. <laughs> I still don't understand what I don't know <laughs> Okay, great So we're off to a great start um, What do you want to start with? Do, um, do we want to bother with our movie review? Oh yeah, sure uh, we, we saw this movie and I kind of had a misunderstanding of what it was It was called The Death of Stalin mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be We were a, trying to go see Annihilation And it's been out for like weeks <clears throat> And it's still sold out And we out. were like, oh it's Friday night But it's been out for weeks And nobody wants to see that movie anyway Sold out at like what would we look at? At Alamo like Draft House, five. at least. Yeah. Six, and it was yeah. basically sold out. Yeah. So oh, it was, was, no, it was literally sold out at seven o'clock. Yeah. But anyway. Um, so we went to see this instead, and we were like, yeah, so it's yes, it, it, like it, another great, like. It is, builds itself as a political satire about the scramble for power in the wake of the death of Stalin in the Soviet Union in 1950. What year did he die? 56, something like that. And uh, it's based on a series of comics, so it's another comic book movie. Which we didn't know. Which we didn't know. And it's got these great reviews, and people are saying it's the funniest thing ever, and it's the political satire the world needs. Uh, It actually kind of sucked. I did Um, not have a good time. Steve Buscemi plays Nikita Khrushchev, but he's just Steve Buscemi playing Steve Buscemi. Yeah. And he was pretty good, and everything else about it just was very weird and very tonally weird movie. It didn't... It was, it was like half of it was like a Monty Python farce. Yeah. And part of it was like a naked gun thing with all these sight gags. And then it got tried to get serious and make like a very astute uh, point about uh, how the politics is horrible backstabbing. And even if you say you have this great socialist union that's about the people, it's all politics and backstabbing. And it's like, yeah, we got it. Okay. They were just very, very flippant about the political murders that happened in Russia and the number of people that the Stalin regime brutally murdered and sent away to camps. And well, and it was yeah. like this this sort of gag about it, which but I did you, not find funny well, or interesting you, but, or, or cool or well, edgy on. or anything else. But you can do that if you're doing it like full-on Monty Python, like The Life of Brian. Yes, like this was the, not they that. They did with like, you know, the crucifixions and crusades and all kinds of things that they just, they turn it into a farce and it's a complete farce. Right. And it can be funny. This, like they did half farce, half serious. So yeah. Yeah. what is going uh, on? I, I it, didn't get, I just, I really did not enjoy it at all. Not from start to finish, especially when they like tried to turn serious and, and it, I mean, it was just, it was a mess and I yeah. didn't like it and I just... It was I don't know. directed by some Italian guy I've never heard of. Um, Jeffrey Tambor was in it. He's had his own. Well, here's the weird. Here's the weird part that I got and... creeped out about. Right? Yeah. Wasn't Jeffrey? What, what did he? 
Was he one of the guys that got busted for child porn? No, he. No, he was just creepy. He's and, a creepy man, uh, like okay. the rest of them. He was sexually he got, harassed mm-hmm, people okay. on sets of movies for his entire career. He got kicked off of um, the show. Uh, it's an Amazon show about um, uh, transparent, is what it's called, which is where he's playing a. a Trans woman, right? Correct. Yeah. Which I don't know why they can't just get a trans woman, but that's a different conversation. Um, they needed a name. I guess it's. I don't know. I have issues with that show anyway. I'm, I, I think it's interesting, and I'm sure that uh, you know the source material comes from a woman whose father did transition later in life, and she wrote a book about it, and then they made it into this show. The problem is that like. <clears throat> everyone is so unlikable (laughs) it's almost it's not like like I get girls everyone is unlikable but that's the point this is like it's not the point but I just can't I can't relate to anyone in the show because I can't stand any of them um they're all just these incredibly like selfish entitled white people that I, I don't know. So anyway, I, I'm not a huge fan of that show. Apologies to anyone who loves it. Um, but he got kicked off that show after allegations came forward that he was a gross uh, sexual harasser. Mm-hmm. Um, so he made his way into this movie. And I don't know. I just, he's fine. I don't I just really didn't enjoy it at all. Yeah, it was a mess. Like some characters were, were goofy, like Steve Buscemi. Some played it straight, like the girl who played Stalin's daughter. It's like it was just Right. And then like the pianist that never she really played got wrapped it straight. Up. And then and just, the one the one part uh, I actually thought there were a few things that I thought were funny. The one thing that I thought was funny that I very much because I'm a theater kid growing up with theater parents is now, the first scene where, where those two characters that never come back again, so I don't know why they wasted 20 minutes on them, but in the when they're doing the symphony and then, then Stalin says, I want a recording of it right. and they record it, so they have to go back and re-record it. And like he's instructing them. It's like, okay, so make sure you clap. And then like everybody starts clapping. And then one guy stands up and everybody does a standing ovation for no reason. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> was like, yeah, like I've seen that before where it's like a mediocre performance, but one person stands up and, and then everybody's like stands obligated. up and then, and then like, oh, standing, this <laughs> oh. was the greatest thing ever. So that was funny. Uh, there's a couple things like that that are funny. But again, if it was just a, a goofy, farcical thing, that would have been fine. But it, it kept going back and forth. Like, yeah. oh, we're going to get serious and dark, but then we're going to do a goofy... But it wasn't like a, a dark comedy either. It wasn't no, that at all. No, it wasn't like Coen Brothers. No. I was going to say, this: the source material might have been really good if it was done by the Coen Brothers or Quentin Tarantino yeah. or, or somebody. Yeah. It was this Italian guy I've never heard of and it wasn't good. Anyway. Yeah. So that's enough about a movie you're never going to see and probably don't even know it's in the theater. <laughs> the Death of Stalin, don't bother seeing it unless you're just a huge Steve Buscemi fan because he does his shtick for yeah. two hours and he does. he's good. Yeah. Um, What the hell else? Where do we go from here? Uh, let's uh, talk about... Oh, boy. There was another shooting of a young unarmed black man in Sacramento. Yes, I want to talk about this at length, actually. Okay. Stefan Clark. Um... It's just fucking devastating. Um, the police were called in to look for a thin, tall black man on the streets of Sacramento who has apparently took a toolbar, which is different than a crowbar. I don't exactly know what a toolbar is. Um, and it was smashing in car windows and apparently um, a sliding glass door um, in this neighborhood 
they uh, the police had a helicopter flying overhead throughout this um, suburban area of Sacramento. They <clears throat> saw Stefan Clark, who was a tall, thin black man, decided this is their guy. Um, he was in the front yard of his grandmother's house. Uh, when he saw them, he fled to the backyard where they shot him eight times. Um, six times in the back, the first shot appears to be in his side. And we're not sure how many of those shots in his back were when he was already on the ground or not. The police initially said that they shot at him uh, 20 times. Apparently, they're either not very good shots or I don't, they were wrong. But the family um, had an independent autopsy done. And uh, that is what it showed was that uh, he was shot eight times. Um, seven of those would have been potentially fatal wounds. Um, they, police initially said that he had a gun, then they admitted that he did not have a gun because they didn't find one, then they said he had a crowbar, they didn't find one of those either, Mm -hmm. they found a white iPhone belonging to his girlfriend, who was at the house at the time, um, and the community is absolutely fucking furious, as should be everyone, um, there have been massive protests throughout the week, um, they blocked a basketball game from the Kings, I want to say. Mm-hmm. That's the local NBA thing. team. Yeah. Okay. Um, delaying the game. They have blocked intersections and bridges. And um, uh, they went to a city council and, and his brother was there. Apparently, he also, Stefan Clark, had a brother who was killed by gunfire in 2006. Um, doesn't indicate that it was uh, police officers, but um, that's a lot of trauma for one family. Um, anyway, his other, another brother of his went to a city council meeting and raised hell, and um, the community is is rallying and protesting as they should be. Um, the officers currently are on paid administrative leave pending an investigation. Um, the mayor and the police chief initially both said, you know, we're not going to, um, you know, uh, question the the, the uh, officer's discretion in the moment. And then they both said, well, maybe we do. <laughs> There's question about the body cameras. The police were wearing body cams. <clears throat> and at one point, <clears throat> one of them said mute and everyone's body cameras went silent, which is questionable also. Um, yeah, I'm going to get into the body cam thing in a second. Yeah, it... Uh, it seems to me shoot somebody six times in the back uh, that can't possibly be construed as self-defense. Um, thinking that he had a gun, the video shows that they really didn't give him time to comply with any of their requests. That they they told him, show me your hands, and then like three seconds later an officer said, gun, 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 and then the shots started coming. Um, the police initial account was that he was coming out at them, arms stretched with something in his hand. The Michael Brown defense, yeah. But he clearly was not doing that. Um, when they started shooting him, he was facing toward the house and then, you know, was shot in the back. So I, I don't know. I don't know what exactly it takes um, to to charge police officers with murder. I don't I don't know what kind of case we have to get or, or what kind of prosecutor or what kind of jury or what kind of grand jury or what kind of judge. Um, 
is needed to look at something that seems very clear to me, um, that if it were not white police officers, apparently it was a one white and one black police officer who filed, fired the um, fatal shots, but that if it were not police officers and an unarmed black man, um, that f- charges would be filed without question in a case like this. Um, and, I, you know, I, I share the community's frustration and anger. I can't imagine what it must be like to be a young black man or the mother or partner of a young black man. The, the fear and anxiety that you must live with every day must be uh, immeasurable and, and, and unsustainable. And I, um, I don't know, my heart goes out to them and I just, we still haven't, still just aren't able to charge and convict police officers for murdering black men we just don't seem to be able to do that yeah we've we've kind of turned since the parkland shooting and the kids reaction (coughs) we've kind of turned a corner in terms of getting more serious about gun reform and some things have started to happen uh and that's positive progress but this is still a thing that is that we're not making a lot of progress on. No. Uh, let me say a couple things about the specifics, the logistics of this case. A lot of you know, uh, cop apologist Twitter is saying, "Well, why didn't he just comply with the officers' demands?" Uh, first off, complying with officers' demands doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to get shot and killed. Right. So I I understand the calculus that this kid was probably thinking. He's thinking. If I can get into the house, I'm probably safer there. It's harder for them to justify, you know, breaking into the house. If I'm in the house, ostensibly they could talk to my mom or my grandma who's in the house. She could verify, no, this is my kid. If everybody can calm down, maybe they could just talk to him and clear him. Whereas (coughs) if I'm a young black man and I'm surrounded by a bunch of trigger happy cops I'm prob. My first instinct is to run or flee, or if I'm near my house where I live, mm-hmm. and I, he lived. I don't know if he lived no, at his grandma's house. It didn't but he appear visited, that he, not but he, he obviously uh, <clears throat> right. visits his grandma's house a lot, right. and maybe has a bedroom there or whatever. Probably. So he's thinking, if I can get in grandma's house, I'm safe. That is a parable that goes back to Little Red Riding Hood. Okay, this is not that hard to understand. The calculus here, is it? No, and he's right that if he's a black man standing on the street with a bunch of cops, he's probably going to get shot, and he fucking did. Yeah. Get shot by the police and killed. That's not some narrative that comes out of nowhere that he's making up. That's and, and, what and, happens, and that's what happened. And again, let me remind you, if you are a suspect, a vandalism suspect, which at this point... That's all he was. If you are a vandalism suspect and you do not comply with officers' demands, that is that is not summary execution. It's not a capital crime. Even if he were charged, found guilty, and sentenced, it wouldn't be the death fucking penalty for vandalism of cars. Not that we have any evidence he did that. Um, But even if he were guilty of that, that's not... A crime that you get killed for. Well, that's the next thing, right? Let, let's say he was the guy, and I have no idea if he was or not. Um, if he was the guy vandalizing cars, then I think white conservative America will feel very satisfied and vindicated yes. Yes. that of the summary execution he endured, even though he was not armed with 
a gun. Um, or with the weapon or instrument with which they attest that he was breaking into these cars. So where did he put it? Where is it? Where now, is this toolbar that he was yeah. smashing windows with? It was nowhere to be found. Now, these things always seem to come in pairs or triplets or whatever. So also, uh, the cops in the Louisiana shooting of a guy who was like selling CDs in a parking lot, and they just jumped on top of him. He was unarmed, but they yelled, gun, 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 so they shot him um, and killed him. And they were just exonerated Yeah. this week. Yeah. So... I'd like to point out that they handcuffed Stefan Clark on the ground after he was shot eight times. Right. Yeah. They handcuffed him. Yeah. Which goes to, for me, the mental state of those officers at the time. That this person who they do not see as a human being, clearly, um, was just shot eight times and several minutes elapsed. According to the autopsy report, he was still alive from anywhere from three to ten minutes post being shot. It took about eight minutes for the ambulance to get there. Yeah. yeah. And it shouldn't take that long. And it's unclear how long it took them to even call for medical assistance. Yeah. The fact that he was still alive and they fucking handcuffed him on the ground after they shot him eight times. Let me let's young black men are so dangerous, right? They're such animals. They're such predators. They're so dangerous. We have to just protect ourselves like that's insane. Well, this is actually, I think, a bigger problem than (coughs) white cops are racist and want to shoot young black men. I think it's ingrained in their psyche. I do, too. And and I think something happens when they're pursuing or trying to apprehend a young black man that the danger level in their mind is. And I, I, this is not a defense of the officer, but it's sort of an explanation that not being armed or having an iPhone in hand or anything, like your mind can play tricks on you yes. very easily. Yes. Uh, and if you have ever woken up and fumbled around in the dark in your own bedroom and thought you saw things that you didn't see, um, your, your mind can do a lot of things. And I think with every, just the ingrained just society and fear and and rhetoric and everything it's called else called implicit bias and it's yes. absolutely a thing that happens and i totally agree with you i was having a conversation with a police officer in the lift car who was an officer in a rural county in mississippi a couple uh-huh. weeks ago wow and we were talking about this because he's a cop and i that's the first thing i want to talk about with cops <laughs> sure. i want to know what you think and I said, you know, I've been hearing a lot about this use of force stuff lately and, and blah, blah, blah. And he started off pretty defensive and he said, you know. As they typically do. I believe in uh, the standard that the police department taught me, which was you are always allowed to use um, one level of force higher than the person that is standing in front of you has used against you. So if the person is yelling at you, you're allowed to do one step larger than that. So we started from there, which I didn't love. Mm-hmm. And then we got onto this topic and we, we delved into it. It was really bad traffic. And we talked for like a half hour. And he we came to this this point where I said, you know, I don't believe that like there's just this bunch of white cops that just hate black people and want to kill them. I don't think that's what's happening. Right. I don't think that we should frame it that that's what's happening. I think that there is implicit bias, that there's there's internal racism that you don't even realize you have. Yes. And when you see a young black man, you just react differently than when you see a young white man or a white woman yes. or whatever. You think immediately, I'm in danger. <clears throat> yeah. This person's probably armed. Right. You know. Right. And he agreed. And I said, I think, you know, there's 
training that should be happening about this and specifically about addressing your own biases and addressing the stuff that you think about that you don't realize that you're thinking, that you don't realize is in your head. Um, and then he agreed. And then secondarily, I said, and the other thing is, I think we should be doing a better job at screening cops. Because I think there's a population of people who want to become law enforcement officials For in whatever all capacity. The wrong yes. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and not all of them, not the majority of them, but enough no, of them. No, yeah. There's a there's a little there's a section of these of these law enforcement officials that get into this profession for all the wrong reasons and they do it because they they lack power in other areas of their life or they don't feel like they they have they want to exert power over other people and when you combine that with bias it's a recipe for disaster and we're seeing it all over the country yep and he was saying to his point to me was totally agree we don't do a good enough job at screening we don't do a good enough job at training like all of that stuff is true and yes people get into this profession for the wrong reason and we need to do better but he's like when you are a cop you you know think about it from our perspective you go up to a house or up to a car you have no idea what you're going to find there you've you know and you're you're sort of you know primed for like it could be anything Right, I could be walking up to this car, and it could be a mass murderer. It could be somebody with a gun. It could be somebody with a knife. That's what you're. You don't know. You go up to a house, and you you don't know, and you. Your the adrenaline that you experience. He was explaining to me is pretty crazy and pretty overwhelming. And I think to your point, like when you combine that, your your mind can play tricks on you. And, Absolutely. And that bias that you have, whether or not you think that you're racist or whatever there you have an impression of who this person is before anything else happens exactly and and let's go specifically to the kid in sacramento i i don't doubt for a second that the officer that yelled gun 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 thought he saw a gun i seriously doubt in the moment he said "Ooh, now is the opportunity to murder an unarmed black guy i'm going to say i see a gun when i obviously don't and now we'll all shoot him i really think he thought there was a gun yes then that is a bigger problem it is a bigger problem and it's a more nuanced problem and it is the actual problem right if if we were just trying to get rid of psychopathic cops who love killing black people that would be a lot easier because there's probably a lot fewer of those right Mm -hmm. those are like one in a million the problem is there's a few of them let's put it sure that's probably true that's probably very true there's probably more than a few but the overwhelming majority of these cases are Bad training, bias. Yes. And and you have to unlearn that shit. If you're going to protect and serve, you have to figure out a way to train these officers to unlearn that shit, to figure out how they actually feel and to really examine their own internalized biases against these communities or it's going to keep fucking happening. And that's really, really, really tough. It is it's tough. very tough. It's also really possible. But we have to acknowledge that that's what's going on and we have to address it head on and police departments all over the country need to address that shit. Well, here's the thing, right? I'm glad you bring up the conversation with you got this cop one on one and you were able to engage in a civil conversation. Yeah. And at the end of the day, he agreed with a lot of your points. Yes. But and, and, and I would bet most cops probably would say more or less the same thing. Yeah. But. The default is still the thin blue line, right? Yes. It's like with the gun owners. Well, you get, you get most gun owners one on one. Oh yeah, I'm for more reasonable 
control. Oh, absolutely. There should be background checks. Oh, but they're like, okay, well, here's the vote. And the NRA is screaming. They're going to take your guns. And the other side is saying, we need gun reform. They're, they're siding with the NRA. Like at the, at the end of the day, right. The common ground loses to the black and white. He, we talked about the thin blue line a little bit. Cause I said the same thing. I said, you know, maybe there's just a handful of bad apples, but everyone else covers for them. Everyone else stands up for them and nobody turns them in. Nobody says this fucking cop is a problem. Yeah, very rarely. And he was like, that's true in part. It's part of why I got out of law enforcement. He said, but also I would like to tell you that this new generation of cops, the up and coming cops that I know, that I saw, that I dealt with, don't have any reverence for the thin blue line. They don't want to have any part of it really. They they grew up like you and I, I mean, he was about my age grew up like you and I did and they look at what's happening and they don't have any interest in covering for bad cops. That being said, this new generation is very much at odds with the older generation of cops that's still there and very much in power, right? These are the cops that are the chiefs and the, you know, the the older generation is very much in control of police departments across the country. Yeah. And they're very much at odds according to this guy with the younger generation of cops who really wants nothing to do with this. And they're very much more, he was talking about like being much more data-driven and much more like um, science-driven. And, and part of what he did there was like do like analysis of of, of data for this police department. And um, <clears throat> I don't know about all that. But anyway, he was saying that there really needs to be a generational shift in law enforcement before any of this stuff changes because these younger cops that are coming in and are like, no, we're not having any of that. They're not getting promoted as quickly. They're not getting, you know, um, the support that they need because they're not playing along. And he's like, we just need basically like a critical mass of this younger generation of officers to overthrow basically the older generation or for the older generation to just die off and retire. (laughs) My concern there is, of course, that the younger generation, in order to get promoted and in order to get through the ranks, will just start complying, and then they'll get sucked in, and then yeah, you this, know. I, I, that, that's heartening to hear. But at the same time, the yeah. guy who killed Tamir Rice was a young, yes, Cobb's a millennial. Yep. A lot of times, these these trigger pullers are the inexperienced, yes, young cops. Yes, so they are. It doesn't. It can I work know. both ways. I know. I'm just telling you what he said, yeah. and I I was sort of heartened by it, and I was sort of like, yeah, but. If we don't fix the this, the institutional problems of police and, and law enforcement in this country, then we're it doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, we have to fix this idea that black men are dangerous animals that are scary and that you know must be defended against at all at all costs. That's that's the bias that people carry around, and that's you know that's racism. That's a bigger problem okay so lots to talk about there lots to think about uh i i have a lot more to say on this but i don't want to get too into the weeds i i the critical mass unfortunately i think is going to manifest in uprisings in the city yeah and there's a lot to say about that but i'm gonna save it because again it's a rabbit hole that can consume the whole uh podcast and, and we have other stuff to get to so switching gears to Capitol Hill, uh, Shulkin is out in yep. the VA. Okay. Uh, he, we, he, people kind of figured he was probably next on the list. He was the VA guy, right? Yes. He claims that he got pushed out because he had been resisting the push to privatize the VA. 
Um, we'll get to that in a second. In the wake of uh, him getting tossed out, Trump has appointed his personal White House doctor, Ronnie Jackson, as head of the VA. Um, Ronnie Jackson is a veteran. He is very well liked. He's very well respected. The problem is I don't think there's any evidence he has any experience managing a large institution of any kind. Yeah. So I I think he has to be confirmed, unlike Bolton. So we're going to see where that goes. What I wanted to talk about was if he's telling the truth and now there's going to be a push for privatization. Yes, Fox News is big on that. And yes, right wing radio is big on that. The veterans do not want that. No. Yes, there are problems in the VA. Yes, there are still lingering problems in the VA. Yes. But overall, the satisfaction level that veterans have with the VA is very, very high and they do not want it privatized. They understand what private insurance and the market looks like. Yes. And they don't they they do not want that. And again, it's this thing of, okay, well, let's say Trump and his right his GOP buddies in Congress and the Fox News sphere all starts this tremendous push to privatize the VA. Military types and veterans overwhelmingly for the last, I don't know, 30, 40 years have voted Republican. Yeah. Does this start to turn the balance or do they just say, we really don't like this, but, you know, we're still going to stick with you because GOP is more pro-military, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I don't know. I uh, fucking with people's health care, man. That motivates people. It does. It does. And veterans believe and they rightly should believe and we should all believe that we have a sacred obligation to them to take care of them when they get home. That yes. is something that I don't care if you're liberal or conservative or right or left wing or anything else. I think that it is absolutely our sacred obligation to take care of veterans and for this, the rest of their lives. And this goes back to terrible, Period. terrible messaging as well, because for the past 20 years, at least the Democrats have been very, very stubborn and forthright about protecting veterans benefits and care and the republicans have been fighting us on that yes and yet the messaging is still bouncing around that republicans Republicans support veterans and and democrats Democrats hate troops and again that's that's just god our messaging god we're so bad at this (laughs) because we have been doing this and I, i am as liberal radically left as you can be basically and i believe that our veterans should be taken care of I believe that that is our obligation as a country, and I don't give a fuck how much it costs. Mm-hmm. Fix it. Take care of them. That is what we have agreed to do. And Trump is sort of the worst example of this because he talks such a good game about veterans, and then he sets up bogus charities that never get the money, and he doesn't actually, and he supports regressive policies that don't actually help veterans. Yes. So we're going to help the veterans. We're going to help the veterans. He doesn't. Right. And so he, and the the media just parrots what he says without any context or yep. facts, and yep. then. So the the hole gets deeper. And, and deeper. we literally don't just say out loud, actually, we're the ones fighting for veterans. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, we have no one that's like, hey, actually, we're the ones that have been fighting for veterans rights for decades. I mean, some do, right? You know, Tammy Duckworth does and a few others do and you have vote vets. But, you know, for the most part, it's still widely perceived as. Republicans, good for vets, Democrats, bad for vets and military. And that hasn't really budged. And now that it's so funny, because if we could just ask veterans, hey, 
You know how you think the Democrats hate troops, right? Yeah, oh yeah, they hate the troops. They uh, hate the troops. They're unpatriotic and un-American, and they want to destroy the military from the inside out and blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Is the idea that not going to war good or bad for veterans? Good or bad for military folks? Well, that's a that's an issue too, right? Because right? mostly if you... <clears throat> this is like the, the paradigm of if you go to a a um, dermatologist for your stomach ache he's, he's gonna find something wrong with your skin right so <laughs> if you're in the profession of fighting a war I, I think you're gonna be naturally more hawkish like you don't want necessarily to be in the in the combat zone, certainly. I, most troops would tell you that and most leaders would tell you that, uh, military leaders would tell you that. But to project power is something that I think they are very, they believe in very strongly. And, right. And so the Republican neocon view of the world is just something that makes more sense and they gravitate. And without being cynical and saying the military industrial complex and more money and whatever, I think just overall this idea of the projection of power Right. Is, that that's the solution yes. to the nation's problems. Yes. I see. Yes. That makes sense. Because I, I hear a lot of um, people who've been overseas in Iraq and Afghanistan from our generation talk about how um, it's really tough over there, right? But coming home is often tougher and that they miss it and that they want to go back to it. Yeah. Um, and that seems a strange thing for someone like me because it sounds so horrifying and terrifying, and it is. But there's such a sense of... Um, of brotherhood and of of camaraderie and yes. of taking care of these people and of, of protecting each other and, and and I'm glad you brought this up. We 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 tend to frame veterans and people in the military with a broad brush and sort of narrow cast them. And people join the military for a variety of reasons. Yeah, you have a lot of kids who. My dad did it, so I guess I'm doing it. I met one of them yep. on a plane once yep. who had never been on a plane before, and he was shipping. He looked barely old enough to shave, and he was shipping off to join the army, and he had no idea what he was doing, and it was just <laughs> like, there's there's nowhere to go and nothing to do in my tiny town. This is my only right. key to get out and see the world. Right. And hopefully I don't die in the Middle East, but it's a possibility. Uh, other kids, especially, remember we saw a big push for this, and, and Michael Moore, love him or hate him, he did a good job of elucidating this and I think it was Fahrenheit 9-11 or maybe another one of his movies where there was a big push to get kids from the inner cities who yeah. didn't have much of an opportunity to anything and say, well, this is your key to do something. And, you know, then have they, financial stability, yeah. have a job, have benefits, take care of your family, send money back home. Which yep. isn't wrong, but it is a perverse. It is way fucked of, up. Yeah. 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 And these recruiters. This you is know, what we decided is it showed good. The way these recruiters target these kids. Yes. And, you know, so there's that. There's some of those. I don't blame those kids for those. doing it. I don't blame those kids for saying that sounds good yeah. at all. But that is not the way that we deal with urban poverty. No. It's to use them as our fucking human shields in the military. It's fucked up. Well, that was, the, the, you know, we can go back to Vietnam. That was big Ugh, thing in Vietnam. I know. And then there's another group that that they, they need structure in their life. Mm-hmm. And this is a way to provide it. Um... And the things you said, they really enjoy the, the camaraderie and the brotherhood and working in a unit. even when, regardless of the reason that people join, a lot of them, when they're in combat zones, regardless of why they joined, I think most of those combat veterans 
feel that sense of camaraderie and feel that sense of like the my sole job here is to protect and defend these people in my unit more so even than whatever the mission that day is there's this sense of like brotherhood and of like these these people are my family and it is mm-hmm. our job to protect each other and and when someone dies in a combat situation it's just devastating for them it's losing a family <clears throat> it is it is and it's losing a family member that you were sort of vowed to protect, yeah. right? And so this is where a lot of this PTSD comes in yeah, and a absolutely. lot of this, sure. um, you know, coming home is hard because when you have this, like, this this sense of identity about being there for these people and protecting them in this combat situation that is so high pressure and so intense for so for such a long time, well, imagine coming back you. to reality, you know, to, to normal civilian life is A, boring, and B, your brain has not registered. Your brain is not in that mode. No, you have been on this high intensity level for so long that you've carved grooves into your neural pathways that say everything is dangerous all of the time. You're yeah. on high alert, and you come back, and it, everything still seems dangerous. And guess what? A lot of those guys become cops. Yeah. Now imagine for a second. Yeah, imagine in civilian life, you somebody kicks down your door and you know murders your kid or murders your mother, or murders your wife. And then you're supposed to turn around a week later and go to work and everything's normal. Right. And that's what we're doing to a lot of our veterans. And again, again, the Democrats have been fighting for more PTSD research and funding and treatment. And who's been blocking us? Republicans. Correct. Not all Republicans. People like John McCain have been trying to, you know, fight for the most part for, you know, he understands how these things work. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the old chicken hawks who are just about, you know, cut the budget, cut the budget, cut the budget. We've been fighting this and we do a terrible job of messaging and there's still this perception that we're the bad ones and Republicans want to help the veterans. Right. But in reality, that's not the truth, right? Like this is a thing that Democrats care deeply about. It's the same as us fighting for 9-11 first responder health insurance. Like this should be the Republican goldmine. Yeah. John Stewart had to step in and shame them. He did. John Stewart, who is a liberal pundit, jokester comedian had to step in and be like fuck you you are doing this you are going to do this period and they fucking did but it was not democrats that were fighting no it was was the republicans who were like it's too expensive we don't know how much it's going to cost over the years they were like we don't don't care how much it costs i literally don't don't care if the 9-11 first responders are actually dying from anything that has to do with With 9-11 and their response but fuck you fuck you fuck you fuck you oh my god yeah it's a million times really shocking that wasn't a bigger shit stain on the Republican Party. I know. It was really... It's because we're so bad at this. Well, the media also didn't, like, they couldn't wrap their heads around, like... What, Republicans are saying we shouldn't respect first response? Yeah, because they're fucking assholes who don't give a shit about anything but money. Yeah, it's like Why they, can't we start saying that out loud? Yeah. Well, they're cheap, is what they They're are. cheap. Yeah. They're cheap they're with not, people's lives. They're not fiscally responsible. They're cheap, unless it comes to fattening their donors' wallets. Right. And helping first responders wasn't going to help any of their rich friends. So I forgot what the original point of all this was. Oh, the The VA VA being privatized. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're going to try. Like when G.W. Bush got a wild hair up his ass and said, I'm going to privatize Social Security. (laughs) And he went around the country to the old conservative white people and said, hey, what do you think? And they said, (laughs) are you fucking crazy? (laughs) 
No, you're not. No, no you're not doing that. Yeah. No, you're definitely, definitely for, not doing that. I will vote that. for Jesse Jackson before I let that happen. You are asshole. definitely not doing that. And he was like, fair. Okay. Okay. You're no, right. I mean, he no, tried for a while. He did. No, he did. He he was going like to die he, on he, that hill for a he, minute. He and really then, needed a lot of old conservative white people to say, don't touch my fucking, fucking social security. dare you. you. idiot. <laughs> no. And then he dropped it. He was like, all right. So, well, but it would be good. And they're like, no, it wouldn't be good. He's like, but it could be, be kind of great, right? And they were like, no, it really is not great at all. And I will literally vote for someone else. I will vote for, like Al said, Sharpton. Al Sharpton. Before I let you touch that shit. No, do not do that. And he yeah. was like, all right. I mean, all right. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. I hear you. All right. But you don't know what you're missing. I mean, it could be good. No, <laughs> it's not good. Stop talking about it. Yeah. Stop. Yeah, you, you really nailed that. <laughs> Yeah. In a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember how Fox covered that. I, I Oh, I don't know. I, I'm sure they towed the party line for a minute. And then when it went bad, they probably just didn't talk about it. I think that's probably right. Because their their viewers were like, are you serious? Yeah. No. You want to take away my no. social security? Are you crazy? And of course, Paul Ryan still wants to do that. He does. He does. Um, he still thinks it's brilliant. So I, I don't know. Like the VA is a little different. Because you got a lot of white conservative never served types who probably think it's a good idea because the asshole on Fox News tells them it's a good idea. And if Trump and the reason it, they think, think a that's idea. a good idea, just to be clear, is because, because the there is are existing problems in the VA yes. that are valid. Yes. People have long wait times and there's a lot of bureaucracy and there's bad and there's oversight and there's been... Yes. A lot of shit, and that's bad, and I want to fix that. I want to fix it very badly. But privatization is not the answer. No, obviously. privatization is not the answer at all. Uh, that is, And vets understand that. Yes. They know what that the means. Actual veterans they are like, want that. fuck no. They're like the old people with Bush. No. It's the, you know, didn't serve folks who think that all government is bad and all things private are good from the Bush era or from the Reagan era rather and the Margaret Thatcher's and the, you know, just privatize everything um, that, that are going to be the hard sells. And the thing about that is that they are not the ones using the VA. So really, I mean, yeah. And here's the thing that the media still can't wrap their head around quite either. Although they sort of try is that, one reason that Trump got elected is he kind of tried to split the difference, right? Mm-hmm. He came with this horrible right-wing racist misogynist message of, you know, Make America blah, right the brown people. But then he's mm-hmm. like, but I'm not going to mess with your, your Medicaid and your Social Security and your, you know, I'm yeah. not going to, we're going to, we're going to keep that, but blah, the brown people. Right. And a lot of people went for that. Yeah. Like, oh, they were this, like, great. Oh, right. I found my <laughs> sweet spot. Yeah. 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 It's not, it's yeah. not. Fuck the brown people, but leave my shit alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's gone back on that. Uh huh. And he has. it doesn't seem to be costing him yet. He hasn't done it yet. I mean, I suppose. I guess talking about it, it's only. I mean, I even, I even when. It doesn't seem to matter even when he talks about it because people are like, he won't actually do it, though. That's what the whole thing yeah. about healthcare was. He's not actually going to do it. Like, I voted for him because he's not actually going to take my health care yeah. away. And you're like, no, he actually is going to do it. That's the thing. He, You elected him, and then you elected a bunch of Republicans to Congress, and that what they said they're going to do is what they're going to do. Well, and I, that's very bad I think for you. The, the clock may run out <clears throat> on, on all that. I, I think that that's when the shit would really hit the fan. If, God forbid, let's say the Republicans held on to the House and Senate after Thank 2018. God. I'm moving. Then you would see Paul Ryan and push to privatize everything and yeah. kill Social Security yeah. and kill, yeah. kill Medicare. Because really, then it would mean like they could do anything and it doesn't matter. And then what would they do at that point, those people? Nothing. they just starve to death. They, they wouldn't get take to the streets? I think they would. No. 
I, if we lose in 2018, I mean, that's the least of our problems. Is if we lose in 2018, just worrying if our dads are oh, upset man. about losing. It, we're we're done. We're done. I'm yeah. moving. I'm out. I'm out. No, if they literally hold on to all three branches of government, uh, the, then I'm. There's nothing left here. There's nothing left. Yeah, yeah. Well, it seems continuously unlikely. Unlikely. But, but you know, I, I, I don't know. They, uh, what's the latest thing they, they brought? Oh, right, a balanced budget amendment. <laughs> God, God. Oh, maybe not an amendment, but whatever. They, they floated that. Uh, I think it was early this week. Um, Are we in like 1992 or what? Well, God, it's so mendacious and so I don't even know the right word for it. But they 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 passed this huge bloated tax cut, which they're discovering people aren't buying it. And they don't think it's really going to help them. And then they they passed this budget with a lot of spending increases, even for stuff they didn't necessarily want. So they wouldn't get saddled with a shutdown. Um, and now they're saying, okay, well, we really need to balance the budget. <laughs> you, no, you, you can't smack do, your forehead. What do you, how, God. I, I mean, I can see the perverse. Does one plus one equal four? I don't understand these people. Well, if it they really try to push that's it, that's, not, that's when Paul Ryan says, okay, well, this is what you want us to do next. So we have to slash the shit out of these entitlements. And then, so before November, you might, if he's dumb enough, you might actually have, Paul Ryan out there. I mean, he'll lie and say this is to preserve Social Security by mm-hmm. totally destroying it. Yes, that's their Medicare. big thing. They're just so much better at this than we are. The messaging, yeah. Uh, but uh, I guess my so point my point was, despite Trump going back on all those promises to protect all these things, yeah. it's not costing him with those same voters. No, it's just not. Mm-hmm. And, and the racist jingoism, I think, just overpowers all that. I anyway. think so. I do. I think that. This privatizing the VA thing will cost him with voters, will cost the Republicans specifically. I'm not so sure. I think if we don't have someone (laughs) literally just pick a person, just pick somebody to go talk on TV, just pick somebody. I don't care. It can be fucking my niece. Just pick somebody to go on TV and say, hey, Democrats are really against this. Hey, Democrats are really in favor of the VA and they want to make it better. And we understand that it kind of sucks right now and we want to fix it. And Republicans are trying to gut it and take away your health care, which we believe is a sacred obligation we have to you. And they want to destroy it. Can somebody just say that fucking sentence more than once on television, please? That Well, more, just, than, more than once. Say it. Because I've heard that plenty of times. Just keep saying Just but, go yeah. on all the shows and say it over and over. What That's we all lack, I want. Yes. What we lack is the message discipline to hammer a point home. Just keep saying until it until it just ingrains in people's minds yeah just we're, keep saying we're, we're decades it. behind we are you know and even if we learn to do it now we'd still be playing catch-up i know but we have to start somewhere I know. <laughs> <laughs> just say it just call me just call me guys and i will say it for you i will tell you what to say i will help you but somebody please go say it a whole bunch of times on TV. I, I need you to do that. And stick to the talking points and make and it simple. Don't, and don't let up. Don't let up and don't get into the fucking minutia of anything. Just yeah. say the same sentence over and over again on TV a lot of times for a while. That's all I need you to do. And make sure 10 surrogates have the exact same the talking exact points. exact same talking points. Over and over, over and, and over, 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 over and over. On TV all the time. 
Can we do that, please? Until Aunt Marge in her the back of her subconscious goes, do Democrats it's, it's like the VA? to rattle around. I feel like Democrats are the people that like yes, the VA. Maybe that, what, did I hear that? That can't be right. No, I heard it again. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Those Democrats, they like the VA. What are Republicans doing about the VA? Oh, they're trying to privatize it. Interesting. Like, I need that to get back in, in Marge. Yeah. Needed to get in them her brain and start rattling around. And then when she watches Fox News and they're like, we do want to privatize, she's like, wait a minute. Who was the literal Marge we ran into the other day? Our surfer at Village. <laughs> no, she's the hostess. <laughs> the ho- she was a lot of things yeah, at Marge. Yeah. She, she was doing a lot of jobs that day. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about more hijinks within the Trump cabinet. Uh, Pruitt is some interesting things happening there. And who's next on the chopping block and blah, 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 blah. So don't go anywhere. I do. Um, as usual on the break, I found something that I thought was interesting. Um, so I'm friends with this person on Facebook. Travis and I can debate the um, merits of using Facebook still all day long. We will not bore you with that. No. Um, he does not use it for very good reasons, and I use it for very good reasons. Well, it's so, not entirely. I use it for band stuff. I don't use it for personal stuff. Right. Anymore. And I do because it connects me to people that I uh, don't live in the same state as and 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 that I uh, agree with and care about and all of those things. Anyway, so um, there is a tattoo artist that I am friends with on Facebook uh, that I've known for a really long time and uh, they posted the following and I want to talk about this and then another thing about this and I just want to have a conversation. Okay. Here is what they said. A few years ago, Bill Nye agreed to debate with batshit Jesus subscriber Ken Ham. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. It was more or less a religion versus science debate, and I was so excited to see it, partially because of my slightly irrational adoration of the science guy, but also admittedly because I knew I would enjoy feasting on that sandwich of delicious superiority. I remember hearing critiques of the event before it even took place. The argument was, even allowing the debate would give credence to Ken's yep. particularly absurd the world is 6,000 years old version of Christianity. I remember that, yeah. I theoretically understand what the complaint was, but I really honestly thought that people were being too uptight. Let's have a little fun. Let's have this adorable children's entertainer wipe the floor with this schmuck. Well, I get it now. There are real consequences to debating stupid and hurtful ideas. I was so fucking wrong. I'm sorry that I didn't understand it sooner. <clears throat> I replied and... 
this is what I want to talk about. This I feel the same way about Dan Savage having the conversation with Brian Brown. Right, they had this dinner table conversation back in August of 2012. Hold on, remind me who Brian Brown is. Uh, he's the director of the National Organization for Marriage. And okay. this was after Dan Savage um, had gone to a talk um, in April of that year, of 2012, um, to a college. It was badly misreported in the media that it was a high school. It was not. It was a community college. Okay. And he said um, at the community college that, um, you know, people can disregard the things that the Bible has to say about gay people the same way that they can disregard the things the Bible has to say about slavery and virginity so he got into and the, shellfish all the Leviticus and stuff. things. Right. And yeah. like a dozen or so kids walked out when he said that. And he was accused of being a bully. And Brian Brown then <laughs> yeah. posted on his blog um, a de- uh, an invitation for a debate with Dan using some very strong language about how he was a bully and if he could be a big enough man to go talk to somebody who could talk back to him, they could have this conversation. And so Dan was like, fuck yeah, let's do it. And he invited him to his home in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, Terry, uh, his husband, was going to be there as well. And his neighbor, Mark, who is actually Mark Oppenheimer from the New York Times, um, was going to be like the moderator of the debate um, and make dinner. Uh, Cause he was like, I don't want, you know, Brian Brown thinking I'm going to like piss in his food or whatever, you know, it'd okay. be a very civil discourse. And I was really excited to watch it. I was like, this is fucking great. Like let's watch Dan Savage just like mop the floor with this asshole, this uh, homophobic, horrifying piece of shit. And in both cases, the Bill Nye versus Ken Ham and the Dan Savage versus Brian Brown didn't go great. And it was very disappointing, I think, for those of us who were watching it, hoping that it would just be like this knockdown drag out. But what I realized in watching both of those things and remembering both of those things is that our side cares about people and cares about facts and their side cares about ideology. And that's not a debate that we can ever win. Yeah. 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 I'm glad you brought that up because I remember the Bill Nye Ken Ham debate mm-hmm. very vividly. And Bill Nye was presenting a lot of facts. Yeah. A lot of just scientific facts like this has to make sense because this you, the mm-hmm. only reason that you have a cell phone and it works is because of all these very complicated mathematical things that this guy says should not be possible. The right. reason you're able to drive your car is because, you know, these this fossil fuel was created these many thousands of years, many millions of years ago, long before this guy says the earth could have existed. And it was like very just factual and fact based. And this other guy said, well, if you believe the Bible, then don't worry about any of that stuff. Right. And it's like, well, how do you argue with that? You don't. You can't. It's the same thing with Brian Brown and Dan Savage. I remember watching it and feeling really devastated at the end. Not because I don't think Dan Savage did an excellent job of of giving him the facts and the reality that we live in, but because it was met with, it was met with nothing that made sense. It was just met with, well, that's not what the Bible says. And this is what the Bible says. And this is what tradition says. And this is what Christianity says. And it had not, it was like we were pairing facts with ideology, which again, I just don't think those things go together. And it was really disappointing. And I don't know what we all expected. I, I know what I, what, what my, my friend was saying on Facebook was that delicious sense of superiority because I know that I'm yeah. right, but instead it turned into this sort of um, 
I don't know, this ideological, well, the Bible says this, and the Bible says that, the Bible says this, and there just isn't any way to argue that. Well, hold on. There's a utility to these debates when that other side tries to delve into the realm of if it's science. Right. And they're trying to say, well, we want to change the science textbooks because, <laughs> you know, that right. that's when the debates serve a purpose and when they get themselves into trouble. Yeah. Or with history or whitewashing history or things like that. Like, or they're trying to say, well, we're going to supersede com- the Constitution with our Christianity and that, you know, that's when, that's when the debates are important. But w- when it's just sort of an open forum on... Uh, we're, I'm going to debate my, okay my science versus science your faith. Good. Right. There is no You're, you're right. Point. It, it's spinning wheels. It is. And it comes back to what we were talking about last week with, you know, the pro-life versus pro-choice movement um, in that when you start from places that are so far apart, there is nowhere to come together. No, we can point out each other's hypocrisies, but at the right. end of the day... You you, believe I'm murdering babies and I believe women have autonomy and those two things cannot exist on the same table in a debate. No. And even when you get to Uh, the science of it, they have. It doesn't matter. They have come to believe that a fertilized egg is a equals a human person. Correct. And so there isn't anywhere for me to go. We're done. We're done having this conversation. No conversation to be had. If you believe that and it's it is. And I believe this. It is a sincerely, sincerely held belief like this is not. Some cynical political move. This Sometimes. Is, this is, this some, is, I would argue that some of them, are. it is a cynical belief. I agree. But for the most part, with people that I've known Pseudo-belief. in my life that are anti-choice and anti-abortion, it is sincerely held belief that abortion murders babies. And I just find myself saying to them, like, I don't think this is a debate we should or can have. And going back to what Mez was saying... Um, I agree with, with the statement that it is hurtful and harmful to have those public debates because, you know, remember this was a time before the 2016 election and we were all feeling pretty superior and we were all (laughs) feeling pretty, pretty sound and pretty like safe in our belief in science and in our belief in fact and our belief in move forward here. Yeah. And everybody's gonna, everybody agrees with us and we're right. And you know, we're fucking right. And we are, but we lost the idea that that debate, both of those debates being public debates does give credence to, to these ideas that are hurtful and harmful and people can go back and look at them to to justify their own belief systems and people who never really thought about it or thought that they couldn't win that kind of debate or they just don't want to have that conversation can go back and watch that and and think you know Christianity won and I'm right and and maybe science is wrong because he didn't really do that well and the other guy seemed to do but like it is dangerous to publicly debate someone who believes that um, all gay people should, you know, burn in hell or that um, science isn't valid and the earth is only 6,000 years old. There's not always a case for debating people who have hurtful things to say. And one of the comments somebody put on this post was, it's sort of like it's illegal to talk about being a Nazi in Germany. And it's because that's... I I need to jump in here and... and, and disagree with with you and the author in certain circumstances okay and you just brought up nazi germany right in the early 90s there was a court case in great britain 
wherein a famous British Holocaust denier um, was being sued, uh, basically for for spreading um, Holocaust denial propaganda mm-hmm. using fudged facts and pseudo facts and like embellishing certain things. You know, just, yeah, yeah. And this is a movie I think called Denial with Rachel Weisz that came out a few years ago that covered this. And there was a lot of pushback making this point by by bringing this to trial, by going through with this, you're giving this person airspace and you're also creating this tremendous risk. If we lose, we have sort of given Holocaust deniers a legal precedent a sort of win to to say their views are legitimate, mm. but the author felt very strongly, and, and and I might be getting the facts wrong. I'm not sure if it was her that was sued or somebody was sued for. I think it was slander in mm-hmm. UK slander yeah, laws. Yeah, it's a whole different, different thing over there than it but, is but, here. But but yeah. essentially went to court, mm-hmm. and this guy was a very you know he was a good bullshitter. He was a good propagandist. So and and. The, the woman in the case was this um, Jewish, I think, history professor who mm-hmm. had written, written important books on the Holocaust Yeah, um, from New York. And and she went over there and the trial lasted a while. And the good guys won, to, yeah. to give the spoiler. Right. But, I, and I think that was necessary because I think this guy had become so good at using the propaganda and making the talking points that we were entering a dangerous time wherein he was gaining popularity and there were like, you know, hipsters and conspiracy theorists and Alex Jones types that were starting to listen to him a little more. And he still has a lot of influence today. I forget the guy's name. Um, Who cares? Who cares? Fucking Nazi. Yeah. But, you know, I I think it was an important debate to have and there was a risk to it and there there were all these things you're talking about. So I think we have to explore these things on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, I would agree with that. I do... I remember reading about Holocaust deniers. My um, history professor when I was in high school, who I talk lovingly about often, (laughs) Chowski, he was a a Jewish man, Polish guy, um, hard, hard guy, (laughs) Uh, taught in Chicago schools, um, wrote for... uh, uh, wrote speeches for Robert Kennedy and um, just generally was like one of my favorite people. Also, I think he was Catholic, not Jewish, just saying. Anyway, he, um, in one of our history classes, I took him for uh, like all history after the first time I ever took a class of his, I was like addicted. Took him for like AP modern European history, uh, American history, all the AP things I could take. And at one point he was talking about Holocaust denial and he was showing us, like, I had this impression that Holocaust denial was like a really like fringy thing that nobody believed in. Well, and, me too, growing up in South Florida. Right. Like, but, the, but he made the point that actually like a lot of scholars mm-hmm. had kind of bought into this idea that, that the Holocaust maybe didn't happen or maybe it was overblown exaggerated yeah he did that in a way of like showing us like 
these pictures of things that we Maybe had. Maybe you're not really seeing what you think you're right, seeing. Right, right. Like he would show like us that. like these pictures of things that we had seen throughout our lives of like, you know, all the shoes and like the gold taken out of people's teeth and, and the, this like hanging. And like, then he would say like, this is what these scholars, not crazy fringy weirdos, like actual like people from, you know, Harvard and Yale and stuff had said about like, well, if you look at the shadows on this, it doesn't seem quite right. And if you look at, you know, this, this seems like maybe it's a, you know, they would fuck with the images and just cast a little doubt. And and that doubt was intended to say, well, if this picture that I've grown up with looking at and thinking that it's this thing isn't quite that thing, then maybe what else isn't quite what it seems right, like. Right. And it was so shocking to me that that it wasn't just fringy, crazy, racist weirdos that were denying the Holocaust, but that it was, in fact, people who had degrees from respected universities and scholars and stuff. And And growing up in South Florida, that was sort of the overall feeling. Like, I mean, it was such a large Jewish population, and I had literal Holocaust survivors that were my neighbors. And so these people were seen, like, as flat earthers, basically. They're just crazy. They're fringy. It's Yeah, there's people that think that, but they're on the wild fringes. Now, I'm sure a lot of... The Holocaust survivors didn't feel that way, and some of the more academic types were more concerned about that. Yeah. But but it really wasn't a thing seen in South Florida. Like, they were a threat. They were thinking, like, those crazy people. Right. And then when I got out of South Florida, you kind of got the different sense. Right. Like, it was it had more currency, sort of. When you... Right. When you live among people who don't live down the street from a Holocaust survivor, you have a... I think it's more easy to get swept up in this kind of thing because it is such a traumatic event in human history that people want some excuse to believe maybe it didn't happen quite that way. It's so hard for us. The same thing with slavery and the way that slavery is taught. I think most Holocaust deniers, that's not where they're coming from. No, but I think the people that are a little bit susceptible to it are. Maybe. They they don't want to. It's it's the same way. How could they have actually done that? Can't be possible. Yeah. Right. And and I I see this a lot on a micro level from a perspective of being a woman Mm. and and being a feminist, but particularly being a woman, that sometimes you explain something to men. How could all these women have really been assaulted? You explain something that is very everyday for you. And they go, that can't be a thing. It can't be. That cannot be a thing that that you go through every day. That cannot be the world that you live in. It just can't. That's insane. And you're like, no, I agree that it's fucking crazy, but it is my actual life, right? Mm-hmm. So from a micro level, I can understand where, because I've seen it so often, just explaining like this happens to me all the time, and men are like, that can't, you've got to be like exaggerating this, you has got to be imagining it, it. Yeah. or maybe it's just you, it can't be happening to all the women all the time, it can't, that just can't be, because it's not an experience that you've ever lived. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people that are susceptible to this kind of like Holocaust denial or slavery denial or this this sort of dumbing down of slavery is like it wasn't really that bad and the slaves were treated actually pretty well and they really liked their masters and that kind of thing. Like there's a lot of that that goes on in teaching of history. And I think the people that are susceptible to it really aren't, you know, the racist Nazis with torches in Charlottesville. They're the people that just think that can't be the world I live in, that that horrible, it can't be that bad, right? It can't be that many people actually got murdered. It can't be that slavery was really as bad as it was. Like they they just don't want to live in a world where 
that can happen. Mm -hmm. And they can't imagine a world in which that could happen because it will never happen to them. Right. And so I think that's a way to sort of frame the the Holocaust denial for some people. Now, for yeah. others, it's an absolutely a way to be anti-Semitic. Be anti-Semitic, yeah. yes, and and it definitely leads into that. And I'm not trying to Conspiracy say that it doesn't. Conspiracy theories that the, <clears throat> the Jews created this all to get sympathy to yes. take over all the banks and right. blah blah blah. Which, and Hollywood somehow right. and the media and they they own everything and they run everything and right. those poor non-Jewish white people <laughs> are just the victims of some conspiracy, yes. which I won't yes. even acknowledge as a yeah. thing that we can talk about. But as a side note to that, I wanted to just say that I did read a really interesting article that I was discussing with my coworker the other day about um, how slavery is taught in the U.S. And I think this is something just quickly I want to touch on because I didn't really think about it until I was reading this article. And it was talking about how we teach slavery to children. We do teach it right in American schools. Mm -hmm. But how do we teach it? What do we talk about? We talk about the Underground Railroad, mm -hmm. Harriet Tubman, mm -hmm. Frederick Douglass. Mm -hmm. We talk about the the sort of strength and resilience of the people who were fighting against slavery. Right. We talk about the abolitionists. We talk about the Underground Railroad. We talk about the freedom movement. Lincoln. Lincoln. Right. It's this very positive spin. If you think about it, mm -hmm. when you were a kid in school, what did you learn about the life of slaves? You asking me? Yeah. Uh, it depends. I, I happen to have some very, very good teachers. So, you know, we, we, we got into some of the unpleasant stuff of that reality. Um, I think. By uh, which you mean the like horrifying, devastating brutality yes. of owning people yes of the families split up and rape and all of the things that are kind of glossed over in in they are telling about the civil war and slavery. right and when we this and, and by contrast i remember being in college with a uh young african-american girl in a history class like history 101 and the professor first day was talking about lincoln and talking about how what he did during the war, and this young African American girl very dutifully brings out her notebook and says, "Which war was that?" And the class just kind of goes silent, and he kind of looks at her wide eyed, and he goes, "The Civil War." And she just very dutifully pens it down. And I remember thinking, "What? What? Where did you get your high school diploma?" Right. Wow. I I mean, wow. I'm not blaming you. <clears throat> You're a kid. <clears throat> wow. Ostensibly, yeah. you took, quote, high school history, history and passed it, and they handed you a diploma, and now you're in college, and the professor brings up Lincoln and talks about war, and you need to take down in your notes, what way, okay, Lincoln, what war was that? Right. And... Uh, <laughs> That's <laughs> anyway, shocking. we've gotten way into Wait, the Wait, but I want to finish this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what this article that I was reading was, was a study of... Um, high school textbooks and what they teach. Well, I think it was junior high and high school. I think it was like grade seven through 12, something like that. And what the content of those textbooks are. And 
they overwhelmingly found, and I don't have all the numbers in front of me, but they overwhelmingly found that the coverage of slavery was largely about the things I just talked about, the Underground Railroad and Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass and, and Lincoln and the abolitionists. And it was not about the hundreds of years. And that's if you're lucky, apparently. You even got that. You even got that. Yeah. But what it doesn't cover and what I think this uncovers about how we th- we think about racism in this country and how we talk about racism and how we talk about our history is that we gloss over for white kids, for all kids, but especially for white kids, I feel like mm-hmm. we gloss over the brutality of slavery. We don't talk to them about the rape and the murder and the beatings and the whippings and the just really, I don't even know what to call it, like interesting and like creative means of creating misery and torture of these people that were owned by other people. We don't really talk about slavery in this way that is honest about what it looked like if you were a slave and what it felt like and, and what it meant to be a slave. We talk about it's bad to own people and then all these things happened and we fixed it. But we don't really talk about the hundreds of years of people surviving that. And And for a lot of people, that is even too much. And they're trying to whitewash that. Yes, they are. Exactly. And, and, you know, we we talked, we've talked multiple times about, um, the Jefferson County school board, uh, recall here in Lakewood. And that was largely centered around around the idea that we shouldn't talk about the bad things about slavery. We shouldn't talk about it as slavery. We should talk about it as, um, a thing that isn't so bad and that white people aren't so bad and that they, (laughs) you know, they really loved their masters and how many of them stayed after slavery. This is a big thing that they wanted to talk about. They stayed after slavery because they loved their masters and they considered them family. Oh, right. Not that they they didn't have anywhere to go and no money and didn't And often didn't even know that emancipation fucking happened. Yeah. It's not like they they had Twitter. Twitter, You know, they didn't, nobody, their their masters just decided not to fucking tell them. Like, of course they did. And the, the, the horrors of slavery are the things that we don't talk about. And I think as a result of that, as a result of not talking about what actually happened and what life was actually like, people have a hard time understanding the black experience today Yeah, because we've washed, we've whitewashed it. We've washed over all of the brutality and the misery and the suffering of what we did to black people for so many years, for hundreds of years. And we've made it this liberation movement that was so great. And then we talk about the civil rights era and we don't talk about how people were, you know, smashed in the face with bottles at at lunch counters because they weren't supposed to be sitting in a white only section and mm-hmm. how police officers brutalized protesters who were doing nothing more than standing on the streets with fire hoses and dogs and beatings and we we just talk about Martin Luther King and now he had this nonviolence and and protest movement and then, and and then Trump can tweet speech. about it and pretend and that, exactly yeah. and we don't talk about the brutality of the struggle of black people in this country and when we we whitewash that and we and we don't talk about it then we don't understand i think it 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 lends to an idea that why would a black person be different than a white person if a mm-hmm. cop comes up to them. We it's hard for white Americans to understand what we're talking about because we've never really educated our populace on what really fucking happened to black people in this country throughout history. And so we're doing a disservice to white people by not 
explaining when your kids what the fuck happened and what happened not just during slavery which is key but also during Jim Crow and the civil rights era and all of the not just the the successes not just the things that got better but why it needed to get better and what was it that what was so awful about it that it needed to be changed and why were these people protesting what was so awful that's the part we don't talk about we talk about these great leaders and what they did but we don't talk about why they had to become great leaders you know and that i think hurts our ability to talk about what's happening now hurts our ability to communicate the black experience in a way that people can be compassionate about or empathize with or sympathize with because they don't understand the brutal history of being black in America. And I I don't know, but that's a thing that I've been thinking a lot about lately. And I just, I think that's a failure that could be pretty easy to, fix among all of the things we need to do you know just talking to kids about the reality of black people in this country and the history of black people fuck black history month like let's have that be part of our conversation you know well there's a lot of pushback obviously to that um and there is we've gone on at length about that phenomenon but anyway we're not going to get to a lot of current events uh apologize (laughs) For that, sorry, uh, I went on the we're probably end, not going to get to prove it. Yeah, we lied. Fuck we off. said we weren't going to get into one topic and drone on about it, but that's exactly what we did. So We did what we do. We did what we do, which is whatever the hell we feel like. <laughs> uh, I do want to talk about Laura Ingraham and uh, David yes. Hogg. Uh, I do too, yeah. So David Hogg, as you know, one of the leaders of the Parkland kids who have been very vocal about trying to reform gun laws uh they've been taking shots at these kids as we kind of predicted they would and And we've been talking about how they have jerks and and calling them bullies by being bullies towards them and laura ingraham said something very snarky and nasty to david hogg about him not getting into ucla despite having a 4.2 gpa or something yeah and she had a lot of heat well you know, shouldn't she shouldn't she be advocating for him that there's a white kid that didn't get into UCLA and isn't there some kind of <laughs> should bias? sue because what probably a black Asian, kid got black in kid with instead. a three point eight got in right yeah. Um, but anyway, she, what, it wasn't even about like anything about the gun thing. She just like literally took a, personal to a personal shot, shot at him. So he said. So the people only thing were he said, like, "What the fuck?" So the only thing he said was like, "Here's a list of Ingraham sponsors. One have, through eleven. Have at it. Pick one." And and within about 24 hours, they all dumped her. I mean, I don't think all of them so far, but I, I think the Most last thing I, I read was like eight of the 11 that were on that list have dumped her. Well, this is pretty jaw-dropping to me, and, and, and it was a power play. And there might be some room for debate about whether this was right or wrong or too much or whatever, but Why? the, the reality... Well, I'm not, I don't even want to focus on that. The reality <laughs> is, oh boy... Do not fuck with these kids. Do not I keep telling you. They have built something here. Don't fuck with these kids. That has a tidal wave of momentum. And the only thing that the conservative voices have to do now that they're cornered like rats is to get petty and personal. Yeah. And oh boy, the way these kids have mastered social media, is that a bad move? Ooh. And Laura Ingraham. She even came out like 
within like I think it was eight hours and apologized. She tried. She said like I Yeah, but that was after the sponsor started dropping. Right. Replies. No, it did, yeah. And then and then now he's being called a bully because people are still backing out <laughs> yeah. even though she apologized. And it's like, no, these people like no, <laughs> you said it. And also, let's go back and just look at the content of your fucking programming. You are a garbage person. Oh, she is. Like, I, the, I the mean, point I made was like, eh, you probably shouldn't have been sponsoring her from way right. long ago. She said horribly yes. racist, sexist, yes. horrifying, grotesque, grotesque things, Islamophobic constantly. things for yes. years. Yes. And this was know. a really good excuse for them to drop her. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting to look at the power of these kids digital nativeness their understanding of social media their understanding of how to hurt her how to how to how to punch back mm-hmm. right it's not like he's going crying and saying oh she hurt my feelings he's just, he didn't even say anything he just said his sister came out and said um as a 14 year old could you please grow up and then he came out and said, like, here's a list of her advertisers. And he did not. That was it. And then they're all gone. And, <laughs> and she's she like, now- wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. Hold on. Yeah. And everyone's like, no, fuck off. And now she's taking a, quote, break or vacation. Oh, or- yeah. So she's sure. off the she- Yeah. That's, a- that's gigantic. So I think. That's gigantic. This is a warning shot. Um, if you want. And look, if. Which is not possible for them, of course. But if, if Laura Ingram was to say. You know, these kids are survivors. I hate what they go through. I don't agree with their politics. And, you know, I, you know, I, I think they're taking the wrong approach. And I, I believe in the strong second. I mean, like if they approach this respectfully, the kids can be respectful and kind. They've shown that yep. when you get petty and personal and yep. take shots, they're going to bury you. Yes, that's it. And too bad. Dude, you. You've been warned. You've seen it over. They're Plus, not the, the hypocrisy of calling them bullies and freaking oh out. Oh my first God. Moment. Like they've been all about this. Let's boycott all the things we don't like forever. And, and you know what? I don't have a problem with that. They have a right to say, Oh, ne- right. Nestle promotes gay pride. I want to boycott them. Like first then of all, don't that, spend your money there. Yeah, I don't ahead. care. I don't go to Chick-fil-A, even though they have delicious goddamn chicken. I don't eat there because I don't want to support anti-gay bigot assholes. Same here. So Same I don't here. eat there and I'm allowed to do that. And they're doing just fine, fine, by the way. They're doing just fine. There's Chick-fil-A's popping up everywhere. Whatever. I don't and care. That's fine. I won't patronize I'm, them. I'm just, I choose not to spend my money knowing that part of that money is going to be funneled into an anti-gay organization. And for people who feel differently than me, it's fine if they don't want to buy a Subaru because they feel like buying a Subaru is going to be funneled into some sort of perverse gay orgy (laughs) fund. It's fine. I, you know what? Don't buy a fucking Subaru. We all have, you know, money speaks. But what these kids have shown is like. It also shows that the public sentiment right now. Is not on their side. At least uh, corporations believe it not to be. Yeah. And corporations, trust me, spend a lot of money figuring out where the fucking public sentiment is. Sometimes they react too quickly or overreact, <clears throat> but they like they get the it. writings on the wall here. It's bad for business. Hundreds to, of thousands to of un- people underwrite just a program that are attacking the Parkland kids. I mean, 
mean, it's attacking children that are survivor, survivors of a school shooting. Yeah. That's what we're ultimately talking about. Yeah, that's... that's These kids are not politicians. So they're that's not celebrities. The they're not anything. They're, they're kids, kids who survived a fucking school shooting, who watched their classmates and friends die, and they want something to be done about it, and to attack them by shaming them about not getting accepted into Berkeley is like, fuck you. Not to mention, apparently, there was a big backlash from conservative moms. Apparently, a bunch of white ladies were like, wait a minute. Like, you can say a lot of shit about these kids, but you're a fucking mother. You just shamed a high school senior because he didn't get into a college. Like, what do you have no soul? There was like a big movement of conservative moms that were like way over the line, way over the line. Like, you know, you know how stressful it is when kids are applying to colleges and you just said that publicly about him. That is way over the line. It's weird where the red lines are. I know. But anyway, real quick, because we're running out of time, I want to pivot to Roseanne. Okay. So Roseanne Barr has launched a reboot of her sitcom wherein she is now a Trump supporter in the sitcom. And I'm honestly not sure if okay, she really is or if this Can't is performance be. art. No, it can be. She's a little nuts. So who knows the way the wind blows Did her. Did you hear? Okay, go ahead with your thing and then I'll ask. Well, the, the, I want to bring back the, the time when conservatives hated her. Something yes. very stupid happened in, I think it was 1989, 90, when her show was big. The first mm-hmm. run of her show was huge, <laughs> which I was never a big fan of because I just hate sitcoms. Me too. Um, but I did like Roseanne. She, she's fine. What, whatever. Uh, she was. She's sarcastic and kind of funny in a grating way. Uh, for, at the San Diego Padres, for some reason, I think it was early in the baseball season in 1990, and I might be getting a year wrong, asked her to sing the national anthem. Right. Now, Roseanne so, is not oh a God. singer. It's not like she's Bette Midler and she right. started as a singer. She right. doesn't sing. My dad was so mad about this. Well, well hold on. So, so Roseanne, for some reason, she said, okay. Uh, and then she 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 must have said, okay, well, they know I'm this loud, obnoxious, you know, boisterous uh, comedian lady who's obnoxious and sarcastic. I guess they want me to do like a a farce of the national anthem, right? Right? Because right. that's what I would have thought. And so she did. She screamed and grunted mm-hmm. and grabbed her crotch afterwards. And uh, white America just lost their fucking mind. Oh, my God. My dad was they, so fucking They mad. just lost their mind. <clears throat> How dare you desecrate the national anthem, which is a silly thing to me. Like, it's a sporting event. Who cares? Whatever. You know, this isn't like That's North that Korea. weird, like, patriotism I thing that crosses a line for me into, like, ideology about yeah, the nationalism and it's gross. Right. It's like North yeah. Korea, right? Like, yeah. you salute the dear leader and right. sing it right or you're not showing enough reverence and you should be right. cast out. Right. Or worse. And people were, I mean, I don't. Death threats. I mean, they wanted I, to pull her show, which didn't happen because the ratings were good. But, like, you know, this was a freaking firestorm. Yes. Well, now she's a Trump supporter, or at least she's playing one, and so they love her again. And it's so weird to me, because it's, I remember vividly that whole thing. Oh, my God. I was 14 or 15. Everyone hated or, her. Everyone hated her. Like, all of, like, she was persona non grata for oh, yeah. conservatives, for Republicans. She was this liberal crazy person who, you know, uh, she was, she's like on bar with like, uh, Rosie O'Donnell. And she right? was pretty shaken by it. She she came on Larry King and everybody. And she's like, look, I don't know what they expected. I'm not a singer. I'm a, I'm a, I'm this obnoxious I'm comedian. comedian that has the shtick of being a, a crazy obnoxious person. So I did what I figured they wanted me to do. And like, well, yeah, but this is the national anthem. It's like, well, they should have fucking asked me. And Why I'm, did they ask me? I, I was kind of like on both sides. I'm like, 
Uh, yeah, it was stupid to ask you. It was stupid of you to not kind of foresee this and like just say like, haha, have you met me? Why do you want me to sing the national anthem? That's stupid. No, I'm not going to do it. But she did. And it, 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 I have no feelings about it other than like people. I just remember like I used to watch the show. Like I, I really hate sitcoms. I've always hated them. But like, you know, on a sick day, Roseanne's on and it's reruns and I would yeah. watch them and whatever. And I always related to Darlene, of course. Um, but when it happened, like my dad didn't watch Roseanne, like he that wasn't a thing in our family, but he was so fucking mad. Uh, yeah, like so mad. So and I much was like, why America are was. you so mad? <laughs> like, what? Who cares? Yeah, it's it was very it's not silly. like it was like State of the Union and she came out screaming, you know, uh, I love Russia, which I guess now would also be fine. Um, <laughs> It's just, it's just fucking crazy. Well, anyway, Trump uh, retweeted her and because her her pilot relaunch, where she's a big Trump supporter, which I don't know if the great ratings had anything to do with that. Apparently, had really good ratings, and so it'll be really funny if she turns around and this is all performance art. Like this was just my character. I still fucking hate Trump. But anyway, now there was there's been a dumb meme that's been going around that Trump is is fighting all the um, the sex traffickers and all the arrests have gone up under Trump and now she's mm-hmm. talking about that and how she's really into yeah, she said that fighting sex trafficking, which is great. It's a great cause. It's wonderful, but it's also not, not have anything being to do with Trump done and, properly and we can talk about that on a different show because but, I do have things to say about yeah, that. Yeah, but, but anyway, we're out of time and I, I think like most TV shows like the pilot will get good ratings and then like they'll probably start dropping and then whatever. I don't care. I'm not going to watch. I hate sitcoms. I don't give a (laughs) shit about Roseanne and the reboot. And if she's really a Trump supporter or playing a Trump supporter or she's a a big conspiracy theorist, I don't don't care. Who cares? I don't know. But like Wanda Sykes is one of the like executive producers on the show. So it just feels like. Maybe they're playing him. Yeah, that would be very great. much so. But even then, but, I don't but really. But then care. there was this whole thing that happened with like back in the day. I don't know when this was. She like made this weird thing where she like cooked cookies and she was pretending she called them like burned Jews with a Hitler mustache that there's pictures of. And I'm like, when the fuck did that she, happen? She's, she's kind of nuts. She's been problematic yeah. for a long time, she, I feel she, like. She's but I don't, nuts, so. I don't follow, I don't know that much about her. So I, I'm, I don't know. Maybe she's very much to be hated and I, I, probably I, that's I, I true. I don't know I, and I, I don't, don't care know. and I'm not going to watch an episode because I hate sitcoms. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that's it for us. We didn't get to Pruitt, but read up on the Pruitt EPA stuff. It's kind of crazy. They had to kick his door down because they thought he was dead or dying or something and whatever. And then uh, you, you, dad, had your taxpayer money, had to pay the bill for that. So <laughs> stay tuned, stay active, stay involved. Irreverent Duo at Twitter, irreverenttestimony at gmail.com. 